0: Well, my formal training is actually in poetry. So I got an MFA in creative writing and poetry. So I was kind of a a poet first, but I'm not formally trained in art, but I've always been dabbling in it my whole life. So like watercolor paintings and I was a real comic book nerd growing up. So I got into drawing comic strips and stuff like that. And then 2014, my computer glitched out while I was watching the World Cup. And that was how everything changed for me. And um, I got into glitch art. And that's when everything kind of turned from painting and drawing to working with tech in my art. So I just really embrace old technology and new technology. So anything that I can get my hands on, whether it's old televisions or old video mixers or it's VR or it's AI. I just I love like anything that I can get my hands on to create to create with. I think. The thing about AI to me is that it's just an an imagination engine. It gets my brain going in different ways. And it's, I'm not interested in having like something that's like, oh, that's obviously a mid-journey aesthetic or that's a aesthetic. I'm interested in it still staying like Sky Goodman, but it just gives you that extra bit of weirdness, you know, that's fun and playful.
1: I think one of the main issues is like kind of like Um, describing like what is a glitch like what does a glitch mean in terms of among glitch artists that was like a point of contention for a long time because there were people like rosa mankman tends to be more of a purist the formalist in terms of how she sees what is and what isn't like a glitch they're looking for you know for example like is there like a digital apparatus is there a malfunction does it signify do you like you know is it user created or is it like someone just kind of like using the aesthetics of glitch And there's kind of division of like, like what is real glitch art? What is fake glitch art? And over time, what I found is that distinction has kind of dissolved. And I think like, you know, people who are writing about it are moving towards a more reader centered theory. One of the biggest glitch theorists is a guy named Michael Betancourt, And he's one of the first glitch artists too. He's been doing stuff since like the 80s. He's writing a new book on just kind of like glitch art as a movement or just as a thing. And his premise is that What decides glitch art is basically the viewer. The viewer understands what a glitch is just based on their, like, how they live in technology. They read something as glitch because they're so used to that kind of media. And to Michael Betancourt, that's, like, the starting point of what makes glitch art glitch art. Does the viewer have this sense that there is a glitch? And so, you know, there's that kind of discussion in the Web3 space because you have artists like XCopy and, you know, like Uxine who do kind of glitchy things. Their aesthetics are glitchy. But from a process base, they're not necessarily glitch because they're not breaking media or they're not malfunctioning or creating, simulating the environment for an error. But I would say Bedincourt would, you know, or even I think John Cates, too, would agree that these no, these are glitch arts because as a viewer, as an audience, a lot of people see the, the kind of like the flickering lights and the twitchiness and the colors and be like, oh, this is glitchy. With regard to like the ethos, there is a glitch theorist called Nick Breeze, B-R-I-Z. And he has a really great video called Notes on Glitch, where he talks about kind of like the glitch art ethic, which is like, as a glitch artist, you're approaching things kind of with a mindset where it's like, I have this digital media, I live within this digital world, and I want to try to find ways to subvert or mix things up a bit. You know, I think that really stuck with me more in terms of how I approach art, you know, especially when I work with glitch or experimental stuff where I'm like looking to see how it breaks or how it like, you know, how, how I can glitch it. But then there's that aspect where it's like, you know, once you figure out like there is the point of like sharing the process and talking about the process and, you know, teaching other people the process too. And that's very much part of that ethic. And that kind of ties in with that, like accessibility. Well, a lot of us glitch artists have been playing with AI tools since 2015 with Google Deep Dream and Style Transfer and all those things came out. Danya pointed out that everyone posted AI stuff in the glitch artist groups. This was like one of the first forums where AI art was widely accepted and wasn't derided or wasn't questioned the way it is now because of the controversies regarding the training models. And that goes hand in hand with that idea of gatekeeping. Like you could look at an AI and be like, well, this isn't technically a glitch because you know, it's working as it should, even though the images like look liminal and didn't look like formed, you know, it's not like it is now where it's super polished. You know, in 2015 with Deep Dream, like all it could really create was just like slugs and dogs. But everyone was just making art with that. And the glitch idea was that like, well, it doesn't look right. We know this technology isn't perfect, but that exploration, that just kind of appropriation of the technology and being like, we're just going to make our own thing with it and run with this aesthetic, I think was one of the main drivers of early AI art.